This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse and Door County Living, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Cody Schreck from the Ephraim Historical Foundation, where he is the curator and collections manager there at probably the most established of Door County's uh, historical organizations, or one of the most established. Cody, thanks for joining us here on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Miles. This is going to be great. What we have you here to talk about is kind of the first Door County History Days, which Obviously, not many people are going to know a lot about, but hopefully we give them a little taste of what it's about and why it matters. Can you tell me on a high level, brief overview, what is Door County History Days all about? When's it taking place? So Door County History Days is happening June 20th to June 26th. It's really a week-long event throughout the county with a bunch of participating organizations all doing different types of programming, different ways for people to interact with the organizations that are here preserving history and a way for them to kind of see the importance of, you know, those organizations to communities and to the county. And what you're trying to do with this isn't necessarily put on like this great big huge new event or festival or anything, but really to draw attention to the events and all of the efforts that these organizations are already doing, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So really most of what you're going to see in Door County History Days programming-wise is not a bunch of new things. Um, It's things that you can kind of access at these organizations throughout the year when they're open. A lot of organizations are doing things they already planned on doing, but adapting them for History Days. So, you know, at the Ephraim Historical Foundation where I work, we we do kayak tours throughout the summer. Um, we've adapted to Door County History Days to do two special ones for the week. So we are having, I think it's June 21st and June 25th. Okay. And what are those kayak tours about? Like, this is not just your typical, hey, go out and enjoy kayaking. <laughs> Correct. Right, right. I mean, the, the onus for doing them was because people enjoy, you know, going out and kayaking. But we really wanted to bring history to places where people were already enjoying things because that's the best way to make history relevant to people. But... These kayak tours are really, it's an hour and a half, two hour kind of tour of Eagle Harbor, looking at Ephraim from the lens of, you know, the history of the water and the things that have happened maritime wise or from the water in Ephraim. So it's, it's a good experience to kind of just get out on the, on the lake and experience history. And when you talked to me about that a couple of weeks ago, it's kind of part of an effort to be, for history, become more than museums, more than just coming in and looking at artifacts, but kind of experiencing it and putting people in that place. Yeah, I mean, the big thing for histories, of course, is finding ways to reach people beyond the walls of organizations, but also just to maintain relevance. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the days of just going into a museum and looking at a wall for five hours (laughs) is no longer a thing. I mean, some people still enjoy that, and that's great because we we still try to, you know, meet people there too. But we also want to be out doing things that are more creative, that are kind of reaching people where they're already doing things. Um, And the kayak tour is one of those things where, I mean, people come to Door County for, you know, water recreation. And we have a great relationship with Peninsula Kayak Company, who, who works with us for the kayak tours. So we just kind of partnered and adapted their Ephraim tour to become a, a history tour. And a lot of the Door County historical organizations are really in their infancy. And mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, roughly like the last 20 years, you have things like the Egg Harbor Historical Society, the Bailey's Harbor Historical Association, Sister Bay Historical Society, only really in a in a robust way, really goes back about 20 years. Same thing with Liberty Grove. Then you have like Ephraim, Gibraltar, and the Door County Historical Museum that go much farther back. But part of this History Days effort is kind of bringing these groups all together because they can, you kind of sit in your silos to some degree, right? And you you get really focused on your own 
history instead of working together to, to kind of highlight all these different things going on. Yeah, I, th- I mean, first of all, you made a great point that a lot of these organizations are really, especially in terms of museum lifetime in their infancy. When people usually think of museums like Smithsonian, the Milwaukee Public Museum or the Field Museum, those organizations started in the early 1800s or mid 1800s. <laughs> Even you know, in considered old up here in Door County, the Ephraim Historical Foundation started in 1949. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, there's people alive that were around when this was when this organization <laughs> started. But yeah, I mean, like you said, we we all do kind of have a mission that focuses very specifically on a local community, or in the case of like the Door County Maritime Museum, who happens to be a relatively young museum, but is probably the most robust and highly staffed museum in the county. Um, we all have very specific things that we focus on. So we, we do tend to not overlap in much. Of course, there's a little bit here and there. But the Heritage Alliance of Door County, the organization that we all meet together and collaborate on that's putting on this History Days, that's the perfect platform for us to kind of find ways for us to work together and amplify all of our voices kind of at once. Yeah, because, you know, history does overlap here, right? You know, oh, yeah. if you're, I live in Liberty Grove, I identify with the village of Sister Bay because I'm less than a mile outside of like the downtown core, yeah. but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm like locked in on Liberty Grove or locked in on right. Sister Bay. Or I talked to Stephanie Burke, who is uh, the president of the Liberty Grove Historical Society, and she lives in Jacksonport, mm-hmm. but she is tied to the Liberty Grove Historical Association and, and all the efforts there. And, and that's because that's where she landed when she first started working summers up here. And she just cares so deeply about it. And those families overlap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, like Ephraim Historical Foundation focuses on the history of Ephraim. But Ephraim did not exist historically, I mean, from year to year, day to day in a vacuum. Um, Things that were happening in Ephraim certainly had impacts and were impacted by things happening globally, nationally, regionally. Things, families, like you mentioned, that lived in Ephraim also lived in Sister Bay. They had families in Fish Creek. They had families down in Chicago and Milwaukee. So, yeah, the history of Ephraim and the Ephraim Historical Foundation is not... Is, some people might assume it's just, you know, oh, I'm going to learn about this tiny little village of less than 300 people. Really, it's about how this village of 300 people kind of fits into the larger context of, you know, of, of history of, of where we are and how we got here. And when my dad first talked to me, because as, as a founding member of the Egg Harbor Historical Society, I think it was maybe a 13, 14 years ago when they started getting that together. My first reaction was, what history, what's the Egg Harbor's history? Like, there weren't wars here. It wasn't part of the Civil War. It wasn't, there's no battlefields. Yeah. There's no mummies. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You know, like, what is it? And I was pretty naive to think that way. And to see what, what they've done, and when you look at what Liberty Grove Historical Society has done, it's really important, the efforts of these organizations. Yeah, I think, I, you said you're naive to think that, but I think you're probably in the common to think that. I think most people think along the lines of, oh, it's it's Egg Harbor, it's Ephraim, it's, it's Sister Bay, like, what super significant things could have happened here. And to some degree, you know, yeah, the Civil War didn't happen in these places. Big significant events that we think of as, you know, history may not have happened here. But of course, a lot of these places did send their their sons, their brothers to the Civil War. Yeah. And that's that's the thing of it is that these these places, they may seem mundane, but it's it's the mundane that makes up history. It's it's these small things over time that actually make up the stories that brought us where we are today. And, you know, they they speak to the larger context of, you know, like I mentioned before, global events, national events, regional events. So it's it, there's actually a lot of very interesting history in the mundane. Yeah, you know, a lot of us grow up sort of hating history class or 
except for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're, you're reading books about people who died long before you were born when you're in high school and, and things that you're saying, well, why does this matter to me? <laughs> um, right. And why do I need to memorize these dates or why do I care about Napoleon or on and on and on? Yeah. And there was this book by James Lowen, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Yeah, that's a famous one. Yeah. Are you familiar with yep. that? Yeah. And I remember reading that probably when I was like 21 or 22. And he had this great line in there. He's like, we're just so bad about teaching history and bringing it to life. Cause he said, history is stories. It's great stories. And mm-hmm. what do humans, humans love stories, but we tell them and we teach history in the sense of memorize these numbers and, mm-hmm. and this name and stuff instead of the, the overall story. And that's, I mean, look at what most of our movies yeah. are based on history and Right. So it's like we're, we're most entertained by it, but yet we teach it so poorly or historically we have. So when you talk about some of the things that you're doing in Ephraim and some of the things that people are trying to do with History Days, it's a lot of people trying to figure out, like, how do we make this yeah. most relevant to people today? Yeah. I mean, I'm also a big advocate of not memorizing dates. I mean, people, <laughs> when I tell people I'm like a historian or I work in museums, like, oh, what was happening in 1793? I was like, I can Google it. Like, I don't, I don't know what was <laughs> happening that year. I don't memorize dates. But yeah, it's more about, like you said, stories. It's about historians and museums really are looking at cause and effect. The stories of individual people and how they got, or how they brought us to where we are today. But I think we also, we really care about relevance, which is what you're talking about is, is arbitrary dates on a wall are not interesting to people for the most part. But if you can find pieces of history that speak to, you know, relevance to current events, people love that kind of stuff. I mean, when we think about right now with J1 workers in Door County, it's it's something that, you know, with the pandemic, it was an issue with J1 workers. There's a, rel- a lot of relevance to, you know, back when migrant workers were up here picking cherries. Right. Uh, there's a lot of things that there there's parallels throughout history that you can look back in history to kind of make sense of current events as well. So I think you can find things of relevance. People are very interested in that. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Destination Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon Bay is celebrating public art in the best way possible with cherries. 24 artists have created unique cherry art pieces on display throughout Sturgeon Bay. Explore these projects when you're out on our bridge walk or when looking for fun things to do with friends and family. Cherry's Jubilee walking maps are online or at the Destination Sturgeon Bay Welcome Center. Find your favorite? Bid online today up until the auction on September 17th and visit sturgeonbay.net for photos, information, and auction details. That's a good point about you know, connecting it to today's effort to bring workers here. Yeah. And we sometimes think like that is such a modern phenomenon. But if you just go back through history, you have bringing Jamaican workers in here to pick cherries in the 1930s or Mexican migrant workers to pick apples. And, you know, that's a a long history of that. And then you go back to the 1800s and it's it's immigrants coming here. Yeah. Our forefathers in many cases to start orchards or figure out how to start orchard, actually, what they did or figure out how to use this land. Yeah, exactly. When you dig into some of the historical anecdotes and stories from Door County, you don't think of them as these monumental things. You don't think of it in terms of a, a president or an assassination or, or a war like we talked about. But when you read the stories of how people made lives here, 
and how they came to this rocky shore in the yeah. like when you look at the map and you think like how did people even find this place why here why did they decide to settle here and you take a place like Ephraim and the great lengths that people came to make that their home oh absolutely yeah and that's that's a central question that a lot of local history institutions try to address in a relevant way is why here like yeah. why why are things happening here what's happening here but yeah I, it, it's a fantastic story to try and tell and I think I think most people enjoy places where they can feel like modern things that are happening can be looked at through a historical lens. And there's, like I said, we mentioned the, the, the worker, the worker thing, but there's endless amounts of things happening in the current day that we could look at uh, through a historical lens. I, I mean, a lot of institutions used the pandemic as an opportunity to look at how, you know, the Spanish flu mm. was impacting local communities. But I think a lot, a lot of people, like we talked about the civil war, big things, that's, that's what people usually think about when they talk about history is these big events they remember from like learning in school but I've always been a big advocate of reiterating to people that local history is the most tangible and approachable history. It's the most right. it's the most accessible form of history because it's it's around you, right? I'm also a big advocate of like understanding place. So mm. how how you know geography and history meet together? Like why why here? You know on this hill or why next to this river did a did community form because you know a river goes downhill and you can build a dam, right? So <laughs> something builds out of that. So you know nature yeah. kind of creates this kind of domino effect. But yeah. I, I, I do believe that local history is, I mean, I don't want to say the best, but the most approachable, <laughs> right? Yeah. But there's also those histories, like you, you learn about the mistakes too. It's like, oh, they settled here. They thought this was the way to go. Yeah. And it's, oh, that turned out to be a terrible idea. Like the, they're, they're, we can't farm here. Or one of the things we can look at in history too is learn from the tragedies. And some of those towns that got wiped out, the original Little Sister Cemetery got wiped out by disease. You had mentioned that some other mass graves potentially on I don't know if you want to say the place, what that might be. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I can tell that story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of history, aside from accomplishments, is trial and error. Um, yeah. and that, I mean, that's the story of Ephraim. I mean, Ephraim, really the people that founded Ephraim, again, started as immigrants and first came to Milwaukee because a lot of immigration, you go to big cities first because that's where the opportunity is. And I mean, they were just Scandinavian immigrants coming to Milwaukee and they were organized into a Moravian congregation by a pastor. Uh, and his name was Reverend Iverson, and they they started a congregation there. Quickly realized that you know, 1850s Milwaukee was a dirty place with a lot of disease and a lot of vice, as most cities were at that time. So they decided to leave, and they actually left to Green Bay first and founded a little village on the side of the Fox River called Ephraim. So Ephraim's first Ephraim was not up here; it was actually in Green Bay. Um, <laughs> but very quickly, those that moved there realized that they weren't going to get the land they wanted. So half of them split and just. He actually walked across the ice first to Horseshoe Island from Green Bay, which was 75 miles Wow! across the ice. And then they decided, you know, they, they camped on Horseshoe Island and they, they walked across the shore the next morning or across the ice to the shore the next morning to the mainland and said, you know, like, like, let's, let's go to the, the Menasha land office is what you did. And you bought land and that's what they did. And they really spent the first few months and years clearing land on the mainland and living on Horseshoe Island. And that was kind of the theme in the first few years is that you'd, if you were an immigrant, you'd come to the island set up a little shack or a cabin and then clear land on the mainland, start to live there. And one of the early groups of immigrants that came after the, there was a, the initial group of immigrants that had walked across the ice from Green Bay. And then there was another group that came after them also came to Horseshoe Island, but it was uh, quickly found that they had Asiatic cholera, which is a waterborne disease. It's very deadly. Um, sure. There's a lot of outbreaks in big cities and throughout the United States in the 1850s. And seven of them, at least seven of them died on the island. And because unfortunately they really didn't know what to do with the bodies at the time. They actually buried them on the island. So is there, there is a mass grave on Horseshoe Island. Wow. There's, a, there's a small marker 
it's about the center part of the island. And of course it's owned by the the state now. So you can go to the island, you can go there, just watch out when you're hiking for ticks and poison <laughs> ivy. But you can, you can see a marker where that mass grave is. But you know, some of those, I mean, I know of at least one story of the father died of Asiatic cholera, but the wife and children survived and they actually built their home on the mainland. It turned out to be one of the, you know, more prominent families in Ephraim. Whose, hmm. whose story we still talk about, but it started with tragedy. Wow. Yeah. And at Horseshoe Island itself, this tiny little island off of Ephraim or off of Nicolay Bay, depending on which way you're looking from, right. there's tremendous history there too. Well, that's, I mean, Horseshoe Island is a, it's a great testament to, you know, how local history, hyper-localized history, because we're talking about, I think it's like a 300-acre island. Yeah. So many stories can come out of that small piece of land. I mean, you can go back thousands of years. Of course, we haven't talked about this on this podcast, but one of the things that, history organizations in this county are starting to do, thankfully, is address the thousands of years of human history that happened to be for white settlement. And if you look at Horseshoe Island, it's kind of at the center of this network of um, Native American history. There's a, a archaeological site just across the Nicolay Bay where they unearthed, you know, clay pieces, human remains, pottery, all that kind of stuff from about 500 BC. Hmm. So we're talking about a history that's equivalent with, you know, like, the rise of ancient Greece, but it's happening on the Door County shores. And we don't really conceptualize it that much. We usually think of human history starting in Door County, at least in the 1850s. Right. right? When yeah. really, it, I mean, there is human history here that goes back far beyond 500 BC. I mean, there's, there's spots in Sturgeon Bay, the Cardi site. I'm not sure if you're, are you familiar mm -hmm. with the Cardi yeah. site. Yeah. I mean, that's paleo Indian, which is like, that's, that's human beings 12,000 years ago living wow. on the edge of a glacier. <laughs> right, which is nuts to think about. And I mean, I live in Sturgeon Bay, not far from the Cardi site. And I, I look out and it, it's a small, relatively small town. And it, just to think about the years that have gone by since then and just the, the deep history seated in that place is incredible. And I went it, off on a tangent there and I forgot where I started. No, I, th I think that's a, it's a really great tangent because, you know, putting it in perspective of just how little we know. You know, oh, yeah. how little is recorded. And especially, you know, on a grander scale, if you look back through history, we actually, even the things we think we know a lot about, we know a certain perspective about. We generally know mm -hmm. who the victors were and what their perspective on a certain event was, for the most part. Um, and whoever was able to record it. Yeah. And which, whoever's versions that were recorded survived the test of time. And in this case, so much of our history here on, on this particular plot of land in Door County, it's not recorded or those recordings didn't survive. And so, you know, most of it we probably will never on right. earth, but whatever we can, like you, like you said, some of these historical societies trying to wrap that into history, like history didn't start when a white man landed here. Right. And that's the big, I mean, for every local historical study throughout the United States, the biggest, you know, I would say existential crisis they face is that the stories they tell are almost completely biased towards rich white men. Yeah. And that's just the nature of how this nation developed, how local places developed. But really what places are doing now, which is fantastic, is collaborating with the people, the organizations that have access to the stories that kind of challenge the the classic narrative, right? Yeah. So you saw, I think it was over the winter, um, the Door County Auditorium, I think it was, did a great speaker series with members of kind of the Wisconsin tribal nations. And, you know, a lot of museums, especially places like the Milwaukee Public Museum, smaller organizations as well, are, are doing a great job of, you know, trying to be equal collaborators and telling stories from alternate perspectives and allowing, you know, groups like the Oneida, Potawatomi, Menominee to have a voice in telling the history of places that have kind of been dominated by, you know, the classic narrative. I mean, even... Even in that more modern era, even in these last 150 years, the history we tell, same thing. It is a lot of our stories come from 
people who had the means to vacation here yeah. and then document their vacations. That's right. a lot of the history books of Door County, which is, it's great. And it tells, it paints a picture of life here. And my own family came here with my grandparents vacationing up here originally back in the 1930s. But that's not the history of living here so right. much. So I, like they're both valuable, but they're, you know, one, one paints one picture, one paints a different. Yeah. And I think, I mean, of course, that's, you know, one thing I, when I almost, when I first came to work at Ephraim, that's one of the things I heard just out in the community. I think I was out, I forgot what I was doing, but someone's like, oh, you work at the Ephraim Historical Foundation. They only tell the story of the, the rich people who used to vacation here. <laughs> I was like, I don't know that yet, but I mean, I could see that. I mean, they have a point. I mean, if you think about museums base the stories that they tell off of the archives and the, the objects they have. And if you think about it, I mean, the things that were preserved, whether it's photographs, in some cases, videos, objects, the things that survive are the things that, you know, rich people had access to. You, rich right. people were, they, or I should say more wealthy people or higher socioeconomic class. They had access to photography equipment back when it was first starting out. They had access to have their portraits painted, which was not something that someone who didn't have money didn't have access to. Yeah. They had access to be able to, to pay for the, the steamship ride to come up here. All those types of things lead to objects being left over that, you know, tell stories of particular things. So that's another thing, too, is in collections, when we talk about collections, I mean, not like I'm coming to take money that you owe collections. <laughs> um, collections, which I have to clarify is, you know, the objects, archives of museums, they also heavily skew towards that same classic narrative, which is sure. something we're, I'm of course, trying to change as well is collect objects and documentation in areas that are otherwise ignored. And there's value to it in that, some of the only video I've seen like of pre-1950 Door County is some of those wealthier families or institutions that had the ability to to record things, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be Horseshoe Bay Farms in the 1930s yeah. or John Hutter from Chateau Hutter when he came up here yeah. in the late 40s and recorded all these scenes from around the county. Like there's incredible value in that. Like, oh, I can see what Potawatomi Ski Hill looked like when it was in operation or what some of these parks look like before there was so much change in and actually, as their their forests were growing back because we had clear cut everything. So there's some some value in that. But yeah, you're getting a certain point of view. And yeah. even when you look back at some of our history, you know, some of the the uglier side of it, when you look mm -hmm. at old, old brochures and you open them up and it, it'll say Gentiles only at some mm -hmm. of our resorts up here. Or when you find out that Sturgeon Bay was considered a sundown town for a long time. So there's there's that history, too. And I mean, personally, as a storyteller. I probably need to do a better job of telling some of those stories as well. Even though it's uncomfortable to talk about, it's good for us to learn where we came from. And I know there's a, f a faction of the United States who, <laughs> of people in the U.S. right now who would say, no, we don't want to know any of that. Do right. not unearth it. Do not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, right. But I think it's really valuable to admit our mistakes and, and see where we came from and learn to be better as a society and, and, and as individuals. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's not only valuable that we talk about them, I think it's necessary. Yes. Um, and I think... I think museums, in particular local history organizations, museums are in some ways the best forum to do that. Really, there's also a big push in museums right now to be, to some degree, you know, platforms of social justice. We're, we're places of trusted sources of information. I mean, you, you look at polls that they do year after year where they ask, you know, a certain amount of Americans, like, you know, what, where is your most trusted source of information come from? Museums always rank in the top one or two. So this is the place where we, we have the documentation. We have access to things like the old brochures. We have the stories. We have the oral histories. We have the documentation that allows us to have a real conversation about this is our history. This, I mean, 
you need to address the stories that brought us where we are today. If you, if you bury them and ignore them, we're doing everyone a disservice because you're not interpreting the stories that led us to this present moment accurately. And we can't yeah. move forward if we don't understand how we got here. And you can't learn from those things. Like Stephanie Burke had this great point. I was in the Door County Environmental Council, did a forum a few weeks ago about, it was about sustainability of of the county and our economy and, and housing. It was, it was really kind of <laughs> a little unfocused, a little wide ranging. Yeah, yeah. But they touched on a lot of different things. And Stephanie Burke had stood up and, and said something about like one of the things you can do if you care about the sustainability of this community and preserving it and who we are is to get involved with your local historical societies. Mm-hmm. So you know what that who we are is because we right. all have this imper- like for most of us, we arrive on a certain day and our impression of Door County and what Door County is and what it means is that day. And, right. and everything forward. Yeah. And whatever it was on that day that we fell in love with it is what it should always be. And that's, I, I fall guilty of that from when yeah. I was born in my first memories, that's what it was. But when you look through history, I mean, so much of what we think it is when people say like, well, I, I, Sister Bay is not what it used to be. And you talk to people who were around 70, 80 years ago and they say, well, what it was, was a lumberyard on the shoreline and a rocky shore and no <laughs> right. sand and all that. And then, well, we don't want that. We want the version I loved when I was a kid. Right. And getting a better knowledge, it doesn't mean that any one perspective is right or wrong, but at least having the full knowledge of that history or, or even, I mean, nobody can have the full knowledge, I guess, but like a right. greater grasp can make you, give you the information to make better decisions now. And right. one of the things that always comes up is what is Door County style or especially in architecture and when towns are evaluating whether to approve a project. And Sister Bay is kind of the funniest place that this comes up because people will say, well, it just doesn't fit. And then I'll hear a developer come back and say like, well, okay, like tell me what, what does, what does. <laughs> and then they say, well, I'm not sure exactly, but that color's wrong and that style's wrong. I mean, just walk through town and, and you'll get a better idea. And I'm like, I'm picturing somebody walking through town and going, am I supposed to design this like the Sister Bay Bowl? Yeah. Or, how is this supposed to, is this Husby's? Right. Or Husby's <laughs> yeah. or is it Cape Cod motif? Like, right. Because some people will say that like, oh, it's Cape Cod style homes. That's the Door County yeah. style. That's basically the style that people with a chunk of money yeah. build somewhere along <laughs> yeah. the shore because they can afford the shoreline and they want it to look like Cape Cod. But like if you look at the earliest buildings, if you look at historically, if you were going to say like, oh, wh- you got a, the true Door County style, you'd be like, all right, we're a Western motif. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get your log cabin ready. Yeah. You look at those old yeah. uh, pictures of Sister Bay or Ephraim and you see, or Egg Harbor, you just see the big, it looks like a Western town or it looks like a log cabin. Yeah. If there's lumber available, you're building your house with raw lumber. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty much the Door County style. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, building codes, I mean, Ephraim's a great, <laughs> probably, no, the, yeah. right? I mean, that's, <laughs> if your building's not white, it can't be there. No, but yeah, and that's something that people had Ephraim even, I mean, we've been approached as well as like, let's create kind of this, this guideline building code for if you want to build something in Ephraim, you know, this is a a template you can use. And really it can be very nebulous. I mean, there's a lot of things to look at, but I think it's nice that we're trusted as that type of organization to be like, you know, like help us look at architecture through the historical lens so we can honor it and also kind of going forward, make sure it's not lost. I think that's yeah. really the, the core of what those questions are. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. Yeah. You, you want to hold on to certain things, but also give it a chance to evolve and, and grow. And cause we're yeah. learning new stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. I don't think the Belgian settlement would go back in time and rebuild with wood. No. By Williamsburg again. <laughs> like, right. Right. Even though that, that was the original. So that's all just to say, like having, at least looking back, you can 
because people get so tied into what their version of it is. Oh yeah. It's like, all right, just learn a little bit more and you'll understand there's a little more nuance to it. There's a little more variety yeah. to either our style or who we are or culturally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certainly not an advocate for foregoing all preservation work because of course I'm always going to advocate for preserving historic buildings when it's the correct use and it's feasible. But if you look back through time, and this is just anecdotal, I'm not thinking of anything particular, but every single generation, when they get old, it's always said, oh, this place is developing too much. It's changing too much. I mean, from the from settlement <laughs> to today, you're always going to have the generation saying, oh, well, this looks so much different from when I was a kid. Like yeah. it's, go, it's going down the hole. Like it's yeah. not going well. <laughs> it's like, well, that's just the development of towns, right? Yes. Like things change, use changes, the way people visit change. I mean, I, of course, I mean, you know this, a lot of places are trying to become more, you know, bike and walkable friendly, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's going to change how cities look. Yeah, doing that kind of thing. And inevitably, eventually someone's going to complain like, oh, Ephraim doesn't look like it used to when I was a kid. No, Ephraim doesn't change much. (laughs) But it's going to change a little bit inevitably. Right. It's kind of a cool thing about a small town is every change matters. Every tree, every bench, every picnic table matters to people. But sometimes it it can get like nauseating, like, oh, gosh, come on. But how many village meetings do we need about this bench? Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But but I've been there and I I have those things that I'm tied to and wed to as well. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about what brought you up here too. You've been in your role at the Ephraim Historical Foundation for about a year. How did you end up coming to Door County? You're a younger guy. And also, how did you end up passionate about history? Okay, I'll try to address those chronologically. (laughs) All right, so passionate about history. So I grew up about 30 minutes west of Milwaukee near the Lake Country region, which is like Oconomowoc, Delafield, Heartland area. I grew up actually in a small unincorporated town called Neshota, and my grandma actually lived about a mile away down the street in a lake cottage that had been in my family since like the 1880s. So I used to ride my bike there when I was a kid. Um, It was an old little lake cottage with like a bunch of old carriage houses behind it. So um, my love for history was sparked in part by that, was being so close to it. And I talked about things being relevant and tangible. History was relevant and tangible to me Hmm. from the moment I was born because I had access to an older generation of family who I was always around telling me stories. I was around an old family, you know, kind of complex of buildings. So I, I, I fell in love with it that way. But also, too, growing up outside of, you know, 30 minutes outside of Milwaukee, I mean, my field trips were to Milwaukee museums, which to those that have been at Milwaukee for it being relatively smaller, big city, has a disproportionately amazing museum yeah. um, culture. So, you know, I, I, I will always hearken back to my favorite exhibit, which is the Streets of Old Milwaukee at the Milwaukee Public Museum. <laughs> Growing up as a kid, I loved going there. So that that institution, that exhibit really sparked my love for museums. So I went to UWM for, for my undergrad, just for history. I initially wanted to be a social studies teacher because, you know, you know I, I like sharing my love of history. I like making people understand how fun history is. But then I kind of got you know, I was thinking about, you know, do I really want to be a teacher? Do I really want to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and teach <laughs> high school kids? Which is fine. Um, but then I was like, you know, like mu- museums are cool. I've always loved museums. So uh, I did learn that the UW Milwaukee actually has a, a very robust, what's called a public history program. Okay. It, it's a graduate program. Public history, as opposed to academic history, academic history is where you, you know, you, you write for journals, you work in academia, you're a professor. Public history is what it sounds like, the public facing aspect of history. So I, I went to grad school for public history with a uh, focus in museum studies and nonprofit management. So I, I luckily landed in the field I went to school for. Even yeah, it's very niche. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I all throughout grad school, I was doing internships wherever I could. So I, I worked at the Milwaukee Art Museum in their pre 1900 art collection, which was fantastic, even though I'm not a huge 
like, I mean, I would love art. I appreciate art, but I'm, I'm not an art aficionado. I don't, yeah. I can't, I would not be able to speak with someone very, um, <laughs> very robustly about art, but it was a great experience. I also worked at the Milwaukee Public Museum, which was a fun full circle event yeah. in accessibility actually, which is something that's relatively new museums, which is things like universal design, which is looking at how people, no matter, you know, the language they speak, their abilities, uh, their age, you know, making experiences for them in museums. So things like thinking about, you know, braille alternatives or how lighting and sound affects people, all that kind of stuff and making museums more accessible to them. But also really the bulk of my time in Milwaukee was spent at the Milwaukee Historical Society, which again, local history organization. It was a great experience and I was working in Milwaukee. I had just finished my graduate school when a job up in Door County popped up. I saw a, an opening for a curator role in Ephraim. I had come up to Door County a few times when I was a kid. I knew Door County. I knew it was beautiful. Um, I knew really, I mean, being kind of a, a history nerd, I, I of course know that Door County is a very deep history around kind of every corner. So I thought it was a great opportunity. So I threw my hat or my name in the hat and uh, luckily landed the job. So it was a, a kind of nice transition right from grad school to kind of a dream job, which has been fantastic so far. Now that you're in Ephraim, what kind of stuff do you do? Like what, what kind of artifacts do you deal with when you're talking about Ephraim, Wisconsin? So so the Ephraim Historical Foundation has a actually a pretty large collection for how small the institution is. And I mean, luckily for how small the institution is and, you know, the, the small community it serves, very well funded, which is we're very lucky to have very passionate donors. And of course, that's something I really have to reiterate with, you know, everyone in the Heritage Alliance of Door County, all nonprofits. So they survive on the, the generosity of donors and people that support them. And Ephraim's no different. But the, the collection, similarly, I mean, we're like other organizations, really, we don't purchase things for a collection. People just generously donate things sure. to us that are representative of Ephraim history. So we're dealing with, I mean, thousands and thousands of photographs of Ephraim in our archives, thousands of documents. I mean, we have the original ledgers from Oslog Anderson, who built Anderson Dock about, you know, his business dealings of sending things back and forth on the dock. We have, you know, paintings by Reverend Iverson. Actually, I should say copies of paintings, the originals at the Moravian Church. Um, <laughs> but we have a very large painting collection because people have tried to paint the beauty that is Ephraim many times throughout yeah. history. And many <laughs> artists have come to call Ephraim home. I can't even name all of them, even though there's a few that pop in my head. But we also have pretty cool objects too. I mean, uh, we're doing uh, this year, so 2022 from June to October, we'll have our feature exhibits. Every year we do a new exhibit in our Anderson Barn location. So this year we're looking at kind of the maritime history of Ephraim and the shipwrecks that are in Eagle Harbor. So one of the the big objects we have is actually a schooner wheel, a big cast iron schooner wheel from one of the ships that kind of ran aground in Ephraim. So we, I mean, we have a very wide array of objects and documents <laughs> that we can use to tell stories in Ephraim. Well, one of those objects you have is actually something as simple as a t-shirt. There's a, a Cherryland yeah. USA shirt that you, you guys have that Dustin Renwick, who does some work for National Geographic, he did a presentation last year at the Miller Art Museum that he has now kind of converted into an article for us for our summer edition of the magazine that'll be out in a couple of weeks. And one of the things he discovered, basically what he found is these old 1930s photographs of Door County that were deep in the National Geographic archives that had never been published, yeah. but had been taken by a photographer doing this kind of tour of the Great Lakes. And back in the 1930s, they'd, they'd come back with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of photographs. Right. And they might use 10 yeah, for, yeah. for a major spread. So they have all these extras. And he, he was like, oh, I'm going to dig through these archives, see if there's anything from Door County. And sure enough, he found some. So it's a pretty neat little time capsule of kind of the cherry picking industry at yeah. that time and great picture of Pottawatomie Tower from that time. That's cool. Um, but in this research, he ended up finding out about this 
this woman who had this t-shirt that yeah. is in your archives that luckily you still had it so we could get a picture of it and kind of tell this little piece of history yeah. about this woman who grew up and working on a roadside stand in Ephraim and yep. selling cherries and had just happened to hold on to this thing. And so there's, there's these great little stories in, in each one of those artifacts or that can be pulled out of right. each one of these documents. That's kind of been the theme of what we've been talking about today is just kind of like the amount of things you can find in the mundane. Like if you, I mean, if I had that artifact sitting out, you know, say in one of our displays with no interpretation and someone walked by a white t-shirt that said cherry land with a few cherries and I'd be like, oh, cool shirt. That's cool. Yeah. Whatever. But when you, when you find out you can write, you know, a National Geographic full page article or you can do a full page in the, the pulse about it, or you could really, I mean, I think we, my predecessors had done a great job of interpreting that with, I think there was a project called Wisconsin 101 that was like looking at Wisconsin history through yeah. objects. So it really, you can take things that seem mundane and, and really extrapolate a lot of stories out of them. And that's our goal at the, at the foundation and all these organizations. Getting back to history days before we wrap this up, because I think I could probably talk to you about this historical stuff for a long, oh, long time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, with history days coming up, this is June 20th through the 26th. We are in, in this week's pulse. There will be a, a special 12 page insert that lists all the different events going on around the County, different ways people can get involved. There is a, a special insert map, a mm -hmm. big, map of all the heritage sites in the county. Not even all of them, but a lot of them. A There's 40-some yeah. different sites on there. And that doesn't just include museums. It includes things like the Thorderson Boathouse on Rock Island, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite buildings on the peninsula. All the lighthouses, of course, but you also have things like Nor Bly's Writing Coop, which sits on the property of right on Door County. And there's all these different things you can go and experience. Alpine Resort, still operating, but an important piece of Door County's history. Cooper mm -hmm. House in Egg Harbor, another yep. important piece of the history of the of the peninsula. So one of the things that we've done very well here is kind of repurpose some of these buildings and keep them alive. And I yeah. think there's been a, an extra emphasis on that in recent years, and, and hopefully we continue to do that. But in general, what do you hope that comes out of this kind of collaborative effort from the historical associations in the county going forward? What is everyone hoping to get out of this effort? So I think, well, I mean, this being the first year and we, we kind of came up with this idea, I don't want to say in the 11th hour, but maybe like the ninth hour, <laughs> um, that really, cause we, we didn't have a full, a full schedule plan to get this done, but I think we've done a great job putting this together so far for the first year. And really, I think our goal for the first year is to set the precedent that, you know, like this is, this is something we want to do every year, mainly yeah. internally. That's what we want to do every year, but externally, we really want people to be aware, first of all, that we exist to some degree. I mean, between even just community members, tourists, summer residents, some people just don't know we exist. Yep. So let, let's remind them that we are here. But also just to show them, first of all, we do cool things. You can have access to those cool things. We have archives that are, for the most part, I mean, especially at Ephraim, open for people to do research. I mean, if people want to come in and look at our objects, artifacts, you know, photographs, anything, they can make an appointment and come in. So we have that kind of stuff. But really just overarching, just be aware of the fact that, you know, Yes, we do cool things, but we're also, we're important pieces of the economy for tourism mm -hmm. and for quality of life in Door County. So if we can do that in a one week thing with 30 plus programs and 14 institutions, that would be fantastic. And then year after year, we find new ways to make it more fun and more engaging um, and more beneficial. And hopefully you guys get some new people involved with these organizations. I mean, yeah, absolutely. so many of the, the people behind these historical associations are, let's just late 70s or 80s, yep. <laughs> trying to do a lot of heavy lifting with small groups of people. Yep. So a little bit of help, a little helping hand goes a long way for these organizations to do things like preserve these places that we love and that hopefully we can pass around down to our kids and grandkids after that. Yeah, that's certainly part of it is to to cultivate a new 
a new generation of volunteers and donors and participants in these in, for these organizations. And I think really we want to just remind people that, you know, a lot of people think of volunteering as, oh, I got to commit a lot of time to helping these places, which I mean, the volunteers that are doing that right now are doing that. But volunteering can be as much as like helping out for an hour for one event. Yeah. So if you, if, you, if you live in a community up here in Door County and you want to help a, an organization, you're interested, you know, reach out to them. They're going to have opportunities that can fit, I'm sure, whatever availability you have. And the big thing is, is like, even if you're if you're a tourist and you want to come up here and just participate, you know, reach out, let us know. We're, we're, we're happy to have people engage with history in whatever way, whether it's a visitor, volunteer, anything. Excellent. Well, Cody, thanks for hopping on the podcast here and, and talking with us about it. And thanks for coming up to Door County and, and helping us preserve our history. Yeah, I hope to be here for a long time doing the same thing. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.